0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome to this special edition of the Intentional Encourager podcast, the People Buy From People series. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I got to say, the guy that I've got with me is the author of the Ford to people buy from people. I'll get into that story here in a couple of minutes, but he is the leader of the sales rebellion. You can find him all over everywhere. Um, but it is an honor to have my buddy, my friend, my brother, Dale Dupree, joining me on this special edition of the Intentional Encourager podcast. Dale, what's good, man? How you been?
1: Man, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm even better now because I'm on the
0: show. And that's all that matters. Well, you do podcasts. I mean, you know, you, you've got, you, you do like 10 podcasts a week. Everybody everybody asks you to do podcasts, man. And it's like, and you were on an episode, episode 18 of people of uh, the Intentional Encourager podcast. And that was a great one. Go back and listen to that. It's a two-parter. There was just so much good stuff there. Um, but I want to start here with you. And, and I wanted to talk about engaging because that's really what you've done in the last two years, and you have just had a meteoric rise around engagement. Take me to the moment where you really said, I've got to kick engagement into high gear and connect with way more people. Well, I, that, that,
1: that would go way back, right? Like before LinkedIn actually. So that would, because that's kind of where I was cultured into what I've grown my LinkedIn into, which is, is the, the starting point of being in music there's a dinosaur
0: in my room just for all the listeners out there he's three years old <laughs> Dale's um, son trip has made an appearance on the intentional encourager <laughs> podcast and we uh, welcome <laughs> him with open arms unfortunately daddy's uh microphone reduction software
1: isn't turned on right now so uh we're gonna have to deal we with welcome this,
0: so. <laughs> him with open arms man hey listen he, you know, I, I will turn the hosting over to you. I'll just let you and Trip do this interview. Podcast. Trip, yeah, it, yeah,
1: it'll be very boring. It will consist of him <laughs> asking me to do things several times and yes. nobody be able to see what I'm doing, so. Yes. So back when I played music with my band was where it really all began. And, and that we had to consistently be on stage every night with a new crowd of people that didn't know who we, who we were, and we had to be extremely engaging with those folks. So the thought was that you had to connect with strangers. You had to connect with strangers every night, all the time, constantly, and you had to do it in a very consistent way. So you couldn't treat some people special than others you couldn't do, you know, something different with this group than you did with that group but you also had to accommodate the bigger picture perspective of their culture of the environment that you were in with them and the things that would make them feel as if the engagement was all about them and not about us trying to build a brand and start, you know, a music revolution. So it was a it was I had to learn very quickly not just how to be very good at standing my ground and taking a hard stance on certain things, but also being able to, in that hard stance, being willing to hear out the other side, right? And I say that in context of like us as humans and the relationships we build, not so much from a music perspective, but think like this. I went on tour with bands that played the opposite music of what we played. They were loud and fast, but they weren't necessarily heavy metal, scream your ear off music. Right. And, and then also from like a faith perspective, we were a very religious band, you know, from the perspective of me being the front man and being a Christian and, and the bands that we toured with weren't like that all the time. They sometimes they were, but most of the times they weren't. So the crowds that showed up, you know, they were mixed. They were mixed bags of people that had different outlooks, that had different thoughts about life, that had different reasons for why they were there. And because of that, I had to be extremely engaging with people constantly. And so when I started in the B2B space, I knew that I had to do this again. I had to do exactly this, but in a, a quote unquote professional space. And I kind of threw all those rules out the windows, to be honest. I, I decided that B2B and business was a box that needed to be broken and, and, and that we really needed to just get back to this intentional interaction concept with people. And, and that's, that's when the revolution of the copyright warrior began and what turned into a sales rebellion, which turned into the foundation of, of what we created. And, and, and one of the things I will mention too, though, is that I never, like when I started this company, I didn't even know I was going to call it the sales rebellion, but, but I just reflected on my life and I reflected. We had other name, we had three other names picked out me and my business partner. But when I, the more that I reflected on my life and I've reflected on my walk, I recognized that everything that I did was, was to
0: help and accommodate other people. Dude. I, I love that. I got to jump in here because when you were talking about the band part of it, and I wrote this in the chapter is that every good front man knows how to feature the band. Like if you go and see, a great group or you go and see a great live performer, a solo performer, invariably they're going to know there is a time and a place in the concert. I've got to feature the band because if I don't feature the band, you know, it it doesn't build camaraderie. It doesn't build teamwork. And people feel like that the front man is the only reason you go to see the band. Well, if that's all you're going to go do, the music's gonna suck because if the front man doesn't have a band, he's singing a cappella or he's singing to, to tracks that you're gonna have to kind of figure out, okay, in, in an arena of 15 or 20,000 people, singing to a soundtrack just doesn't work because you can't, you can't really, you know, you need more stuff in the monitor. A live band is always best in an arena setting. Because a live band is, is conditioned for that. When you, I want to jump back for just a minute. When you were, when you were playing, you were the lead singer, you were playing on stage. How often was it important to you to feature the band? The thing about
1: it is that it, it is, it should be the priority of the lead singer to feature the band <clears throat> And, and I think that at the, that point in my life, let's be super realistic that I was a cocky, arrogant kid. And even though I had a servant's heart and was led by a servant leader or cultured by a servant leader to become who I am today, I was still learning at that point. And so I knew the roles of the people in the band on stage and I knew that they were gonna give everything they possibly could to, to not just fulfill that role, but to help other people see how much heart they were putting into it. And so for me, in some cases, for me, it was about like trying to keep up with them, quite frankly. You know, as I looked over and saw them going like more buck wild than I was, I thought, oh, I got to step it up here. So so we were all challenging each other from that perspective. But but at the same time, I did expect – I expected more out of them. That's what what the knucklehead in me was. You know, I expected more out of them. And so I I would spotlight them, and sometimes I would spotlight them by – flying into them full speed and knocking all their gear and equipment over at the same time too, and making them extremely angry at me in some cases, but we were a wild band and that's kind of what we were known for. So I allowed myself in those moments to kind of in, in what I thought was, was in my mind, accommodating and helping people to see the band was probably doing the opposite. It was probably making me look, like a jerk in most cases, or people laughing at me thinking that I was making them look stupid in some cases. So that the main point being that the number one thing that we have to remember as leaders is the perception of others that it doesn't, if we sit here and say, Oh, we should do this, or we should say this, or we should talk about that because your listeners are going to care about those things. We've failed. But what we have to do is we have to say, what will challenge the people listening what will challenge the mediocre and the status quo of the world that that does not lead to the outcomes of success that we know and have experienced, so that we can help people have a perspective, not change their perception. Their perception is never going to change. Yeah. But if we can show them our perspective in those moments, and they can they can appreciate it, they can respect it. It can help them to some extent in their walk, whether that's it's from a positive standpoint or a negative standpoint. They don't they disagree, but they use the knowledge that we give them to be better that's okay. Right. So I, I think at the end of the day, I tried really hard and that, that was the, the, the thing that I always go back to is that I forgive myself for my arrogance and the things that I sucked at because I didn't really know any better. And I didn't have people that would talk to me the way that you would, if you were my friend back then, or that talked to me, you know, started to tell me those things at the age of like 23, 24. Like, Hey Dale, you're kind of a jerk when you do things like this. And then I was like, Oh geez, I've been doing that for like five years. That well, sucks. Well, everybody <laughs>
0: thinks the band me- Well, here's the thing here. Here's what I want to get to. And we'll, we'll step aside and take a break. We'll, we'll get to this point. A lot of people in a, in a concert, they don't know what happens backstage. With 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 bands, because there are some bands that get along, and they're together for a long long time. I I, I follow in the country genre. I follow a group called the Oak Ridge Boys. Those same four guys have sang together since 1973. If if they were going to have any personality conflicts, they w- they would have happened a long time ago. And they, they, and they did, and, and one of the members left for a few years and then came back. They, made, they, made, they mended fences. But nobody sees what happens behind the scenes. Dale, I want you to talk about the importance of meshing with your bandmates behind the scenes or backstage and, 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 and correlate that to meshing with people in a team setting. You guys are all on the same team, or you're supposed to be on the same team. Talk about the importance of meshing behind the scenes. I think it goes back to the thought of people's
1: perspective versus their perception And, and being able to accommodate through awareness what someone is going to appreciate and what they're not. So, for example, two of my best friends in life that continue to be my best friends, um, were in that band with me here's an interesting fact one of them him and i had a falling out in 2006 i want to say something somewhere around there we had a falling out because the uh, backs behind the scenes the band was not did not like me and and they had essentially they had created this like split down the middle of like three of them just wanted me gone and three of them kind of like agreeing with that, two of them, I should say, because I was the third, two of them agreeing with that, but also saying like, maybe we can work this out. And and what's funny is this, one of these particular individuals was not one of those people. <laughs> and And yet, when I heard all the things that he had concocted and was going to say about me, and some of them just being blatantly like misinformation, right, like, that's not how that happened, and and I, but I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to ruin me, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the process, even though I did some terrible stuff, especially to them. Like, I'm very regretful of the way I treated some of them, without a doubt. And I've I've since made amends and called them and told them I love them and I apologize for being a total jerkback. But the point being that, even in the midst of that, I loved that guy. I said. It's okay that he feels this way. And I and I didn't necessarily say that to him, but I wasn't a jerk. I was just like, hey, I get it. Um, and this is kind of how I've always dealt with things. And I and I, I give this as a lesson to everybody learn listening to say that those guys you're talking about, they probably have had the same problems, right? They probably have, and we've never seen it, never know about it, right? Because that's kind of how bands work. But several years after everything happened. He just got back in touch with me. And I'll tell you, I know exactly why, because I never stopped loving him. And I never said, like, you're a liar and you've made these things up. And, and the people that you've got, you know, on your belt, they don't want me to, to have success. They don't care about me. They would rather, you know, forfeit all those things and lie about me in the first place to get their way. I didn't say any of that. And so I just said, hey, it sounds like I should leave the band. That's what <laughs> it really sounds like. And, and, and for six months I was, I stepped away from the group entirely and, and they, I mean, it crashed, dude, like it crashed hard, but I, I was asked to come back by the two members that I mentioned earlier and, 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 and they kicked the other three out, (laughs) brought me back and we restarted the band and, and we had a ton of success after that. But, but again, the point being that that one guy that I mentioned, he, dude, our kids are going to grow up together I love him with all my heart. He's one of my favorite people in the world. And I would never let that one incident or instance play a role in that. So we as leaders have to understand that we are going to face things that we're not ready for, prepared for, or that are unfair to us. Yeah. Life is not fair, ladies and gentlemen. What, what matters is in the moments of that happening, what do we do with it? How do we take it? Do we do we a cuff do we do we cock up and do we say let's go I'm gonna fight this or do we stand back and we say no I see what's happening here and I'm gonna let it play out because I know the truth and I don't need to prove anything
0: yeah it, it, no. <laughs> well yeah I, i'm just i'm just ta- i'm just sitting here taking it all in man one of my favorite dudes on the planet Dale Dupree, joining me on this special edition of the intentional encourager podcast the people buy from people series, we're going to step aside, take a break. More in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines after opening SEO national 14 years ago, let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at eight, five, five, seven, three, six, six, two, eight, five, or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Dale, I got to ask you, man, I wanted to ask you before we took a break, how would you engage now with that dale dupree from from 2003 2004 2005 obviously you try to mentor him but how would you go about engaging him to get him to connect differently with people the way you connect with people now i would do nothing
1: Literally, because it was through the failures that I learned to become what I am today. And and like, so my, you know, my dad was teaching me how to be better at those things. And I was listening, but I was carrying them out through my own perception of what I thought he was saying. And, and I, I still had strong feelings about certain things like tough love and, you know, whatever else. Right. So so I, I quite, quite frankly, bro, I would do nothing because I, I still would need to go through those same failures and, and have it like blow up in my face in order for me to sit back and go, wow, my priorities were off, you know, whether I wanted to believe it or not, but I was, I struggled with a lot of things internally that I never talked about, uh, abuse. Uh, I struggled with, with, um, not necessarily drugs and alcohol, but a party mentality that, that got me into a state of anger that i struggled with heavily and 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 furthermore i struggled even with the people that i hung out with that i i felt that you know a lot of the things i was doing with some of them was like living a double life and and that exposing those things too to other people was like wrong to an extent when really it was the truth and it should have been exposed it was a confusing time in my life and like a lot of the friends that I had and the experiences that I went through, I, I like I don't even speak to those people anymore, which is very sad to me at the same time as well, too, because I love those people and they created a lot of my life as I know it. But, you know, I was tormented during those times and I was I was kind of kicked around and trashed as well, too. But that's why you see what you see today. It's why I took the bull by the horns, as they like to say, and and told myself, you don't have to be defined by that by those, those people and those instances and the thing that you thought was good, but then you recognized wasn't, and you don't also, you don't also don't have to hide it anymore. You can tell people about it. You can tell people about your problems. You can tell people that you, you had a really hard time with, you know, being a man in, in the, the year 2005, six and seven, like you really did that. You didn't understand the true identity of what you were and that, you know, there were certain things that you felt you were doing right that you weren't. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with always admitting defeat ever since then because when I was convicted, when I was, you know, things were brought to light, um, you know, living a double lifestyle, lies, just blatant lies that I was telling myself, that I was telling people around me. Um, and it happened in my life, uh, life a couple different times too that that had to, to, to fully come out, you know, that, that I stand here before you triumphant of those things in and, and the place of really truly understanding what matters and what doesn't. And so if I were to go back to that Dale, I'd, I'd, and and that Dale was like, Dale, you know, bro, what's your best advice? Future me. I would say nothing. I would say, just do what you do, what you're doing. You're going to be great.
0: Yeah. That's all I would tell him. I'd go back and kick myself in the rear end, man. I did a lot of (laughs) immature. I was, even as a father, man, I was, I was kind of immature and. You know, but I want to go here. You mentioned your dad. I want to go here. That's what connected you and I was the impact, the influence of our dads. And I remember sending you a text and saying, hey, bro, I need to talk to you about something. And you being the faithful friend that you are, you said, hey, let's get together tomorrow at like 1.30 or something like that. And when I pitched this idea to you, I said, man, I want you to write the forward. I'll never forget, you were like, I don't think I've ever done anything like that. But it was the perfect thing, man. You were the perfect guy to write that forward because of the impact of our debt. What did you learn from your dad about engaging with people? My
1: dad was extremely brilliant in the way that he engaged with people. My dad had zero expectations and no preferences that he held people to. When he sat and spoke with them, didn't matter what your, your religion was, your, your, your ethnicity, your sexual preference, even I like my dad, in my eyes, transcended all of those things and that he just purely loved people that you never met a person that knew my dad, that didn't love him just as much as he exuded that love. And so it was a, it was a wild thing to witness, man. I, I remember, I'll never forget. I was sitting with a guy named Kurt Baker and, or not Kurt a jeff baker and we were hanging out and the guy starts talking about something that my dad had done to a group of us and and me personally i heard it and i thought that sounds just like my dad right everyone in that room was like this guy sounds like a myth right he sounds like something made up people don't do those kinds of things And, and it was in moments like that in my life, especially after my dad had passed, that I truly recognized his impact and the things that were, that he was doing from the time that he turned 35 and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and started to move on, you know, from the past and the things that had torn, you know, him apart and weighed him down to the time that he was 60, right. And passed away. Like the life he lived in that window is insane it's a crazy thought how much change that he manifested and created in 25 years and and what's even more intense is just like how much he changed people's lives my dad was like the original entrepreneur right we used to call him small business
0: owners
1: (laughs) like that's how we knew entrepreneurship back then right like my dad always had big ideas he always had a lot of things he he wanted to do he always had a bunch of irons in the fire but but the number one thing was that small business that he ran uh all the way to the day that he sold it and the thing about that that small business, though, that, that some people look at that and they say, cool, your dad was a businessman. I said, no, my dad was a people person, and that's why he started this company. He was, was somebody that that truly could see past the minutiae, the mediocrity, the the ultimately bland way that the business world kind of plays the game and could do something different, and he knew it. And he heard he heeded the calling even before he was saved and and started to change his lifestyle he heeded that calling and he knew that it was something that he needed he needed to do he was already making strides toward this ultimate victory that he was headed towards without even knowing it and I so I think about the stories I think about the things I witnessed I think about you know that the couple of times that my dad got mad that it was like that generational thing where you know somewhere along the lines of his upbringing, that that's what he saw and because the, and I know that that's the case because he would come to me later and he would apologize. Right. He would say, I shouldn't have acted that way. And, and that's what floored me the most is, you know, you get an argument with every once in a while it was never frequent. You get an argument with dad and, and he'd write you a letter, like a letter, <laughs> and he would describe all the emotions and the whole time all he would be doing is telling you that he loved you and he was sorry literally never justifying anything never trying to to fix it even just telling you that he loves you and he's sorry letting you do it yourself that fixing so there are times like i'll tell you my biggest the thing that i would tell everybody listening that i i constantly regret is that I did feel frustration around certain things with him as a young, stupid kid. Yeah. And I look back even like at old text messages, cause I still have everything saved. And every once in a while I just kind of flip through and just reminisce. And I think I read and I think about how, yeah, I was a man of few words with him communicating over text and email anyway, that I always loved just being in front of him and communicating better. Cause he was the, he was that person that would text you like, 16 times in the course of like 10 minutes asking the same question, you know? <laughs> but-
0: my dad was a, my dad was a pick up the phone and call guy. That was exactly what he said. He said, I'm going to pick up the phone and call this person. I'm going to pick up the phone. And is like, you, you know, dad, picking up the phone now is not walking over to the, to the wall and actually rotary, the, <laughs> you know, my dad was the only guy that I knew that ever gave up an iPhone, you know, willingly. He's like, oh, I can't do this. I got to go back to a flip phone from, you know, 2002, you know, and right. That, right. that's the thing. But that's, Dale, I think I think about our relationship, man. And I think I would not have known how to engage with somebody like you had I not been taught by somebody like my dad. I would have never known how to do that the right way unless I learned it the right way does that make sense man does that, that does that make sense that yeah because I because even with what
1: I was what I like the whole concept of the question you asked and how I was I was answering it even is that without really like understanding those those teachings I would I would still be 2006 to 2007 Dale that would walk in a room with my chest puffed out like I'm I am the ish and you will do as I say. And, and I might listen to you because I love people, but I'm going to have in the back of my head this burning desire to give my opinion and, and you know, make sure you understand where I stand on these things. You know, the Dale that transformed from that Dale in 2000, late 2007, 2008, was the Dale that that really cared, that understood, because I recognized just how good my dad was at being selfless.
0: Well, and, and we understand, you know, you, you think – Here's what I'll say. I thought I knew how good my dad was at being selfless. I thought I knew it. I didn't really know it until those times where it was, you know, man, when I lost my job in 2009, my dad my dad calls me and goes, what do you need? And I told him, and, and here he comes rolling me a commission check that he'd earned. And he goes, here, here's my commission check for the month. I'll just give it to you and your family. Like, I thought I knew what selfless was. I thought I knew what selfless was even as a father myself. But I didn't realize that my dad was going to be selfless with me until the day he died. And something my dad told me, I don't think I've ever told you this. I've never told the listeners this, but I was thinking about it today. My dad told me the day my son was born. I'm, I'm the oldest of three. Only boy. My dad told me with the day my son was born, he looked at me, we're in the hospital. He looked at me and my, my son's over in the nursery part there. He looks at me, he goes, it's not about you anymore. And that was the day. And I was like, I I finally, you know, he's been gone almost nine years and finally realized like, yeah, that's what he was talking about. Wasn't about me anymore. In that moment, when my son entered the world, he was like, now you got to put your focus on your kid. Now, you got to put your focus on your wife. Now, you've got to engage with that kid the way I've engaged with you the last 30 years of your life. And now you've got to, you know. And I think, Dale, I'll say this and we'll go to break. I feel like what our dads was te- were teaching us was to carry it on. I feel like our dads were saying to us, Men, here's what I've learned. I'm not going to be here forever carry it on do what you're doing now because i feel like now i'm in an impact zone i know you're in an impact zone what do you think you how do you think your dad would engage with you today with all the stuff that you're into no differently i feel that he would just recognize what he
1: had created better because i wouldn't be the guy that that was worried so much about <clears throat> all the things that I was at those in those moments of my life anymore. And I wouldn't be the guy that was still timid to, to be exceptionally real with my father in certain moments because of, you know, continued preference or bias, you know, from my older self, like I think he would truly recognize just how much impact he made in me. But I, those last few years, I I know I like beat myself up over these things, but those last few years, I, I mean, we clicked and, and the things that he needed to know, he, he knew. And like when I was getting ready to leave this company that I'd been with for my whole freaking life at this point, you know, outside of playing in my band, you know, because his business was sold four years in and, and I spent the next seven years with another org that really created who you see today in the first place. It wasn't at his, by his leadership that I built my wealth and I became extremely well-known and it was by my own. But it was from his example. So, but those those last few years, I really think would be the same dad that you know in those that I would know today if he was still around. Which would be the the ultra transparency that we had, um, and the ability for me to be able to really have an accountability partner. Not that I don't have them now, but man, I could tell my dad anything, bro, and I wasn't afraid to, and I never was afraid to. Trust me when I say that, but. But over those last couple of years, I mean, there was moments of just full healing to be able to sit and speak with him because he was the best dang listener you ever met in your entire life.
0: Yeah, my, I always tell people my dad taught me the art of conversation. It's like if I know how to, to carry on a conversation on a podcast, it's because I learned how to carry on conversations in the car with my dad, like talking about anything. So let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about how Rebels – Engage, And I'm talking to the leader of the sales rebellion, my dear friend, Dale Dupree, on a special edition of the Intentional Encourager podcast back in a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. Want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25 year sales and sales management, customer engagement and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of people buy from people. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle. If you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way or now available on audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of people buy from people. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentional media and publishing at gmail.com and send me an email And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Dale, let's talk about the sales rebellion. And I know, uh, man, Curtis Dupree has got to be proud looking down. And I said this, and, and I think we, we, we might have put it in the book, but I told you one time, I said, man, when we get to heaven, you and me and my dad and your dad, the four of us are going to sit down over some barbecue and we're going to hash some things out. And it's probably going to be me and you sitting next to each other and looking at each other at the wisdom that they're continuing to drop on us. And and no doubt, man, our dads have probably already gotten together in heaven and said, hey, man, look at our kids. Look at what our kids are doing and how they're they're doing what they're doing. Let's talk about the sales rebellion. Let's talk about the engagement of the sales rebellion. Since I had you on the podcast last, man, you guys are just – blowing up the sales rebellion is just it's a phenomenon and and i couldn't be more proud to to have a small association with it in whatever way but tell me how rebels truly engage with customers let's go there for just a second
1: yeah so the principles of of being a rebel are people over products community over commission checks fellowship over negotiations and given experiences over performing a pitch. And and those pillars are, are really the, what define how a sales rebel looks at engagement. What is it that I should be doing? How, how am I impacting what can and should I say? And what effect does it have on the other party? We are always putting other people first in the process sales in general is broken in that it believes the best way to communicate with folks is to have a strong value prop is to be able to convince somebody, so to speak of your products and services where I believe that the natural and true form of sales is to get back to the basics of allowing other people to make their own decisions. Yeah. And, and letting buyers buy. Yeah. You know, we say that everybody is in sales. We say that, that a teacher sells structure, that a janitor at a school sells a clean environment. We also say that a buyer sells themselves. You know, so when we look at all of the ways that a rebel communicates, the number one thing that we come back to, no matter how you, you spend it, is the perspective of being able to allow other people to buy throughout the process.
0: It's amazing how people don't understand what real engagement is. It's amazing that in sales we think, and I said this the other day, Dale, I was talking and I thought about you when I said it. People today engage by clicking a button. It's follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram. Add friend on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn. We have confused engagement as an activity and not as something that is a basic human fundamental, right? It, it's, like, it, it's like trying to tell your kid, well, you really need to be kind to people. Yeah, you, you be kind because nobody likes jerks. You be kind because that's what you're supposed to do. We're all hardwired with that kind of thinking in our our brains but yet people when they engage it's like well um i'm going to post this and i'm going to see how many likes and follows and comments and stuff like that and trust me man you have posted stuff that has just blown up but i also know you well enough to know you're not going to say it unless you authentically believe it so let's go there for a minute talk about authentic engagement with other people and if you want to go the route of social, go there. If you want to go the route of interpersonal, go there. But I want you to to just address authentic engagement for just a quick second.
1: Yeah, I think that it comes down to, like, if it's prospecting, it comes down to the ideology of, like, not spraying and praying on your dials.
0: <laughs> when it, when it, no, when it spraying comes. and praying. I love it, man. Spraying and praying. Uh, you know, is it is it like the same thing as, like, show up and throw up? Is that <laughs> is that it?
1: Yeah, and that's the second piece of it, right, is that it's the same concept of when, like, you do find some people that you can sell to to not show up and throw up. And so it's about just, like, not puking in general, right, that nobody appreciates that. And, you know, somebody prompting, being prompted to say, well, tell me about yourself, Brian, or, like, wanting to learn about you and having a resource to be able to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. People buy from people that they like and trust, right? But... We can't be leading with, Hey, real quick before you throw me off the phone or, or kick me out of your office or, you know, whatever the case may be, or delete my email. Let me tell you how awesome I am. Nobody cares if you can give somebody an experience like they've never had before and, and that highlights them, but also nuances in what they're missing out on with you is really the clutch component to every salesperson's communication that they're missing. In most cases, now, I get great emails sometimes from people that, that, that write it, you know, something very heartfelt, something very warm, they got great things to say, they've done a little research on me clearly, not a whole lot, but enough that I'll respond. And what's great is a lot of times I'll respond and I'll totally give them something that they can use. They're so metric driven and they are so get the appointment driven and not like let's accommodate Dale, that it just turns into nothing in most cases where I'll even throw them a bone and say here's what you can do. Yeah. And and instead of catching the bone and taking, you know, the the literal instructions on how to sell me something, they say we'll tell you what and they and they they use all these crappy manipulation tactics that the sales world thinks is, you know, the golden calf of of our of our vertical and you know there's just there's so much missing still from the way that people authentically engage with one another and so I, I think that it's about like if i know brian i'm gonna i'm gonna hit brian up and i'm gonna i'm gonna send him a, re- a pre-recorded audio this is how i i would sell brian sexton i send him a pre-recorded audio i'd put it either on like an old ipod or or maybe i'd stick it on like a cd player and you know but one way or another i'm gonna throw some nostalgia into it because i'm gonna be doing some research on back when Brian was a voice in the sports world. And I'm going to, and I'm going to like, da-na-na, da-na-na, and be like, welcome <laughs> to the show. You've got Dale Dupree here. I've got my main man, Brian Sexton, and I'm going to pitch you with an experience like that. Instead yeah. of trying to, to just generically throw out a, you know, 25, you know, word email saying, are you tired of this? Having a problem with that? And so I'm going to give you an
0: experience in those moments from a little bit of intentional research. You know something, man, I I tell people when they connect with me, and I I say to them, I'll have somebody connect with me, and somebody will say, hi, Brian, and it's all they'll say, and and I'll go, listen, I'm thankful. I'll ask them one thing, i say, I'm always curious what prompted you to connect with me. Tell me what it is. The second thing I'll say is because I value connection, And because I believe that people buy connection before ever making a transaction, I'm going to tell you up front, if you're here to make, if you're here for a transaction, you need to connect with me first and not just, oh, we're connected on LinkedIn. So therefore it must be okay for me to pitch you. And so I love what you said there. And to me, and I write about it in the book, Dale, the way that a starter and a flywheel used to connect, like everybody has a car. So the way a car used to, to the, the motor used to turn over is the, the starter would, the starter drive would bang into the flywheel instead of slipping and meshing into engagement. Because what happened was after a while, the, the teeth on the starter drive just chipped off and then it's no good. You needed a new starter or the, you needed a new flywheel. And people figured out, listen, if we if we don't get this problem fixed, we're always going to have this problem. I would say this, man, and I want to i want to pull just a little more conversation out of engaging with authentic experiences. You know, when you developed a copier warrior, you developed that persona. Was it about being unique or was it about engaging in a different way? Because I could see that being multifaceted. Tell me what the impetus was for creating the copier warrior. I don't think I've ever asked you that. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a an element of being unique
1: in it and that like if we're not radically authentic, then we're doing people a disservice. Cause if somebody didn't like if you saw the copier warrior as opposed to salesperson at XYZ company, you're gonna think differently. And so I'm being intentional about the way I want you to feel in that moment. I'm I'm saying to myself, what do people typically feel? And a good example would be, let's look at my LinkedIn real quick. And because I was trying to pull this up while you were talking, I was like, this is going to work. So here we have. I should have
0: talked <laughs> longer, man. My, my apologies. I should have enabled okay. another five minutes, you know? It's okay. It's okay. So here, here we have, <laughs> we have salespeople that have, uh,
1: that have looked at my, uh, my profile recently. There's lots of those 10,000 every 90 days or whatever this thing does. So this dude's title is senior account executive, right? So if I look at senior account executive with X, Y, Z company, I'm going to think this is a salesperson. They work for X, Y, Z company, they do, which does this. And so cool, right. That there's not much of my brain that's turning on the language processing center is it, right? That's it. There's no creative nodes. There's no motor skills, nothing like I'm not, I don't move from the, the moment that they are the location that I'm sitting at in the moment that I'm in, I say, this is what this means. This is why people fall asleep during PowerPoint presentations, right? The same reason that they have crappy titles and nobody writes them back or wants to engage with them. Right. But then if we scroll down a little bit and we see, cause I, I found this the other day and I was like, I bet it'll happen again. Cause when I go through people that have viewed my profile, you occasionally, you see a couple of people that are like my tribe and here's one. I help companies uncover potential packaging challenges. Now, is it the most eloquent? I mean, it it could be better for sure, but this is going to turn my head. If I do, if I have these issues, right, (laughs) instead of reading, I sell this thing, I read, I help people uncover potential challenges around this thing. Right. And then in my mind, I'm going, well, heck, I, that means that I might actually not know where the problems are, and this person can point them out to me and, But that I've been trying to pinpoint in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So, again, niching into the identity that you want people to see. And so I said, well, copier salespeople, everybody hates them. What about a copier warrior that that slays the typical transactional relationship that they get from those folks? What? What then? And that's really, literally, where it all stemmed from. Is that that was my heart? That's what I wanted people to to feel and understand. And I said, how do I do it in a very radically authentic way? And created the brand. And the rebellion just is just like another notch in the belt. When I sat back and created it, and actually after I created it and launched the company, I, I read a book. Someone sent me a book. They were like, love the name. Read this book. And the book was called the. I, it's either. I think it's just marketing rebellion. I've got it somewhere on my bookshelf, but I don't think it's the marketing rebellion. It's marketing rebellion, is what I think it is. I can't remember the author f- for the life of me, but but I remember holding that in my hand and going, Man, I did this at the perfect time, right? Because this is what people in the sales and marketing world need. <laughs> they yeah. need they need someone to step out of their comfort zone and and get risky with the title of their company, with the message that they're, they're preaching and they need to be able to get in the ears of those that are listening for that kind of change and disruption in the first place, but they don't know where to find it. So, so that's the thought is that I am, I literally live the definition of insanity as, as a buyer who purchases a copier every four years from the same sales rep over and over again. And sure, I've gotten some quotes and they're like 10 bucks less for this person that I don't know. But then one day this guy comes along and says, I know that you're in the definition of insanity currently. I know what the status quo and the mediocre of my of my uh, vertical causes when it comes to problems and long-term effects. And I'm going to tackle these things by having a brand that's very, that's very eccentric and that's going to make you stop and think, even if I don't like it, I'm going to talk to this person just for a minute so that i can come in and interrupt that pattern
0: well dale we've we've engaged sales have engaged with features and benefits since god created the heavens and the earth and that's how salespeople were taught to engage and well or you walk in when i was in the food business you'd walk in and go hey my french fries are a dollar a case cheaper than the competitors You buy my French fries, you'll save $30 a week because I know you buy 30 cases of French fries. And my goodness, you know, it only takes 10 cases to get a minimum order. So, you know, I know I can save you money. And that person's going, you're the 18th person that told me they can save me on French fries this week. Give me something. Engage with me in a certain way. Tell me how to keep my employees from stealing crap off of me. How do I keep stuff from walking out the back door? How do I keep the health department from – from how do I stay a, a step ahead of the health department? Like, I was never thinking – when I was first in sales, I was trying to engage on stuff that I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be brilliant. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to save these people money. They didn't give two craps about me saving them money. What they cared about was, hey, can we depend on Brian? If I buy from him, can we depend on him to do what we need him to do? Hey, if I'm looking for a new idea, can I depend on Brian to help me out with a new idea? And man, it took me a few years, but when I learned how to really engage with customers, Dale, it was like it was like the the, the Paul on the Damascus Road. Like my eyes are finally open, and I'm going to convert to this way because this is way. And I dealt with so many dudes out there and ladies that were just constantly, man, it was like, look over here, don't look. It was like it was like the shell game. It was all the time the shell game, and they weren't really engaging with people. You know what people are doing when you stop and look at a street magician? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to fool you. Ten times out of ten, he's trying to fool you. You know, Or you listen to somebody and you go, oh, man, they're a really good singer. That's because they're auto-tuned most of the time good most of the time these people you hear on the radio are auto too. It's because they don't know how to engage their voice and' how to engage their audience. Man I have rambled on here I can see the look on your face like I am in deep thought here <laughs> and I know you so well man it's it's, it's scary but listen man I, I want to be respectful of your time and the audience's time. Would you leave the audience with a with a piece of intentional encouragement around engaging the right way? Maybe somebody's struggling with how they're engaging on social. They want to grow their platform. They want to, you know, they want to get to that next level or they want to grow their business and they're not really engaging with customers they feel like the way they should be. Man, I know you've got a word of encouragement about engaging people. Yeah, meet people where they are. That's what I would tell you. And
1: when somebody rolls into your comments and doesn't agree with you, if you're on social and, you know, f- farts their opinion all over the screen and, and just like, you know, goes all in to bash you or harm you or hurt you, tell them you love them. Tell them thanks. When somebody won't respond back to you, you've been hitting them up for weeks or months or whatever. Meet them where they are. Sit back and say, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not creating enough of an experience here. Maybe I'm not giving them something to, that's worth their while to differentiate enough from the other 25 salespeople that are hitting them up. When you're sitting there wondering to yourself, what can I do differently? Rebel. And don't worry about the, the, the opinions of others or the perception of others. Instead, just meet those people where they are. Tell them thanks and move on and go to the next. There are millions of people out there in this world that are, that think like you, that love you just the same, and that are looking for you to provide a service to them, to be able to give them good advice, to be able to be part of something particular that they're building. And so seek those opportunities. Don't get hung up with the naysayers. Don't get hung up with all of the, the, the small things you instead keep an open mind to it in those moments, allow people to to reveal the things that you don't want to become and learn from that at the same time, without telling somebody that that's what you're taking from the conversation either. Right. Cause when we meet people where we, where they are, then we have a better chance of being able to help them just as much as they yeah. think they're helping us in those moments. So be intentional by meeting people where they're at. That would be the, the number one takeaway from what I think you and I've talked about today on the show and, and the fa- multifaceted conversation that we've had about all these different topics from music to dads to sales. So I would just tell people to be mindful to be empathetic to, to have grace and and to continue to go out and, and, and work right you know your your level of energy, your level of passion, your skill set, your experiences that's what some p- people buy right And so you don't need to be something that that you're not. You don't need to pretend, you know, and fake it till you make it. Instead, you just need to meet yourself where you are just the same as you want to meet others.
0: Man, I love that. I, and I'm writing down, keep working on meeting yourself where you are. And I love that, man. And, and I'll share this quick story. I was praying because I w- I knew I was going to get down to the end of this book. And I was praying and the Lord spoke to my heart and said the answer will be the answer will come in 48 hours and man the next day i was walking through my yard i was taking something from where i am to the front porch and it came to me Asked dale to write the forward and your name just it, it was just i mean i can take you to the spot in my yard where it just came to me to have you write the forward it was absolutely the perfect thing man and i'm so grateful that you said yes Out of all the things you were doing, man, you stopped to take time to do this for me. And uh, I love you, bro, from the bottom of my heart. You made this book what it is. Man, tell people where they can connect with you, where they can find the sales rebellion. I I know you're, I know you're, you know, you should be very easy to find and, you know, but uh, remind people where they can get in touch with you and connect with you.
1: Yeah, that one's easy. The salesrebellion.com. If you want to go and and just learn a little bit more about the rebellion, you can hit the community tab and find our Slack channel um, as well there. And you can hear our local podcast is uh, just the same. But I'm on every uh, I'm on every social channel. So LinkedIn.com backslash I am backslash copy or Warrior. Just search Dale Dupree if you can't remember that. And then every social site: Twitter, TikTok, Link, uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, you name it. I'm on it either backslash sales rebellion or at sales rebellion to find me come engage, come have fun with us. Come rebel.
0: I'm looking forward to being on the selling local podcast. We're going to take this to the selling local podcast with, with you and myself and our, our dear friend, Chris Watson, who has been a guest on the intentional encourager podcast, but, uh, man, I'm looking forward to that. Dale Dupree, you are the best man. Thank you for joining me on this special edition. Of the Intentional Encourager podcast, People Buy From People series.